Hey everyone, Samson Kovach here from The Theology Pit. This is my uh, next podcast journal entry here. Maybe I'll try and make it a little bit more interesting than the uh, ones I've done in the past, but who knows? And I do realize that this is late and I have not been keeping up with it. I apologize you know, greatly for that, but I'll give you kind of some info. Hi, this is John Hall. And this is Kathy Emmons. And we're from 101.5 Ward FM. And you've just fallen into the Theology Theology Pit. Pit. All right, everyone, welcome to The Theology Pit. This is Theology out of Pittsburgh, and not to be confused with a bottomless pit, because you know what we say here in The Theology Pit, when you fall into a bottomless pit, you die of dehydration. I am, of course, your podcast and friendly neighborhood theologian, Samson Kovach, also seminarian at Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, beautiful downtown Ambridge, Pennsylvania. Well, if you've been to Ambridge, Pennsylvania, you know, there's a... it, it, let's just say it's not exactly the, uh, uh, I don't know, the, the uh, how, how should you say it, the polished uh, steel buckle of the rust belt, <laughs> in a way. Um, but hey, I, I realize that this, is, uh, this podcast is coming a little bit late, and I'm just going to give you kind of an overview of what I've been doing in school and, and what's been happening. I'm recording this actually extremely early in the morning here. It's 5 o'clock um, on uh, February uh, 23rd here of 2018. And the, um, the flu has been going around like crazy right now. Um, I think all of my kids have it right now. So they've been up with uh, various uh, projections coming out of them throughout the different nights. And uh, tonight was no exception. So I figure, hey, while I'm up, you know, um, I could get a little bit of reading it or I could do some theology pits. And I figure, hey, you know what? I need to let you guys know because I cover your prayers and, you know, and, you know, your response with me and everything. And, you know, I want to just kind of let you know what seminary life is like here. I mean, I'm in the full swing of things. I guess I have technically five weeks under my belt since I just sort of finished up, you know, this last week. Um, Monday, the 19th, I had another, um, 12-hour marathon day because I had two classes and then um, from 6 to 8 I had a uh, workshop that uh, that I chose to do and um, being in seminary is interesting in a lot of different ways and being in uh, a predominantly Anglican seminary is equally interesting Um, not only am I getting education in my classes from you know, just like the textbooks and the, and the work that you would normally expect in any type of, um, you know, graduate program. But uh, I'm meeting people from around the world and meeting people that um, they live in countries where Christianity is not the predominant religion. And um, it's interesting to talk with them and to hear their experiences and what it's like, you know, living as a Christian. We do um, some classes uh, in a studio where, you know, we're doing audio and video and stuff, you know, for uh, uploading to the internet for distance education and learning. Now, I didn't think that was a big deal because, you know, hey, I do the theology pit, right? I'm a podcaster. You know, do I've done video stuff before, you know, 
and I've put myself online. I'm, you know, not not exactly uh, shy about my Christian faith, but there were people who were very concerned about being on camera because supposedly if it got out or if it was known um, in their home countries, that could cause problems for them. Uh, it could possibly be used as you know evidence in persecutions um, or the fact that they were getting a Christian education if they lived in a prominently Muslim uh, country that their family could be targeted and, and, and watched for you know proselytizing or something like that um, and it it makes you evaluate you know your role as a Christian in a country like America where we are free to speak but do we take that opportunity um, you know we sometimes we don't because we think hey well maybe I'm going to say the wrong thing and you know here in the theology pit we don't care about that I say I say the wrong things all the time you, you guys have heard it that's why I've had podcasts where I've apologized for past mistakes and said oh last podcast I said this wrong so Excuse me, I'm yawning because it's yeah, it's so early in the morning here for me, and I've been up since like three, I think. Um, another thing that I've been getting like sort of a secondary education on that I've I've been learning that's been pretty interesting is um, liturgical worship, liturgical structure. I've been familiar with it, but I'm getting intimately involved with it. With it. Um, Another thing that we did that was like along the lines, when you think like liturgical worship, you think like Catholic church type stuff. And I mean, similar, but, uh, on Ash Wednesday, which is Valentine's day this year, it's, it's funny. We have like holidays that are falling on holidays. I, I suppose, you know, like what, what a secular holiday would consider with a religious holiday. Cause it was also Valentine's day. Um, but we went to, a local convent in our area to celebrate Ash Wednesday. We went to a nunnery, you know, first time I had ever been to a nunnery in uh, Baden, Pennsylvania. You know, there's a nunnery and I've, I've always sort of known that because, you know, every now and again, you'll see like nuns in the store and, and stuff. And Hey, you know, I mean, I guess that there's a nunnery around here somewhere. Never been to it. You know, I mean, how many people have? Why? What, what's the appeal of, of going to a nunnery? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you now. Tell you about my experience and being there all day. I was there from like eight eight in the morning, eight thirty in the morning until about four or four thirty in the afternoon. And uh, it was a quiet day, a day of reflection, and it was really really interesting. Our um, you know dean of students uh, was leading it with another faculty member. Um, and so we'd have like these little, I don't want to call them workshops so much, but we would have a sort of a lesson, almost like a sermonette that was given, um, a scripture reading, and then, uh, or uh, reverse that. We would have like the scripture reading first and the sermonette on it, and then um, a little bit of reflective um, post comments about it. And then from there, and we, I think we did we did four of those, and the fifth one was the Wednesday service. But in between that, 
He had free time, more or less, to do what you want. Um, you could explore the nunnery, you know, explore the grounds. Is This particular one is on, I think it's over 80 acres. Uh, they have chickens, and they have lots of chickens. Um, they, I guess, harvest the eggs from the chickens every day and uh, donate them to food banks uh, to help feed people. I think they do some gardening too and stuff in the, in the nicer weather. But, um, so you can explore the campus and you can just, you know, spend time with God, just praying and, uh, you know, reading scripture, relaxing, writing, just doing whatever. It's just, it's just a quiet day where you are encouraged to just do that. One of the requirements was or, or one of the rules was that you were not allowed to do schoolwork. You were not allowed to do any any book reading for you know school. No papers. No you know nothing of that of that kind. And you were discouraged from just chatting with people. You know because they wanted you to to spend that time. So took advantage of that. I've never spent a day kind of doing that. And the first thing that I did is I went to uh, one of the parlors that were there. Um, this. This nunnery, I mean, it was a little bit confusing, a little labyrinthy, sort of, you know, they have a gorgeous chapel there, but they have four parlors. And basically what they are are just like little rooms that are, you know, off off the one hallway. They're all sort of in a row. And it looks like they were last decorated in the late 70s, early 80s. Light fixtures, everything like that. Even Some of the furniture was... You know, pretty old too. But the thing was, I went and sat on the couch, and it felt like I was the first person sitting on that couch. It was so soft and so firm. And that's something else that jumped out at me. Everything was super comfortable in that place. Everything, even the pews, like the pews had some of the thickest padding on it that felt brand new. The carpet. You know, it was obviously you know, from an older time period, you know, 70s or 80s, whenever it was installed, but the padding on it was still super thick. And it was very soft. Like when you walked on it, you felt like you were the first person walking on it or, you know, sitting down, you're the first person sitting down. When I thought of nunneries and monasteries and things like it, maybe monasteries are different, you know, where the guys are, but the nunneries. And they got it going on. Everything was super comfortable, super soft. It was all, everything was kept at a good temperature. Um, it was just relaxing. And, uh, you know, in my meditation and my contemplation, uh, that first period, I was just going through Psalms 1, 2, and 3. Just, you know, thinking about them. Thinking about uh, the Christology of them. Uh, you know, uh, the yeah, blessed is the man or the blessed man, and, and how that's referring to Christ. And it was just, it was very, very interesting, very uh, reflective. And the time went by faster than you, you would think that it would. So, after the second um, thing that we did, I decided to go out and check out the labyrinth that was there. Yeah, the nunnery has its own labyrinth. And uh, spoiler alert, David Bowie's not at the end of it. All right, not, it's not that kind of labyrinth. It's not a bunch of big hedges with, you know, trolls and fairies, you know, running around in it. And, you know, you got to 
do secret knocks and what have you. It's basically a circular path made of just sod and bricks. And you're to walk the path and you start at a, a, a post that says peace and you start walking the path towards a giant rock that's in the center of it. Right before you get to that rock, the path turns and you're so close because that's the, the end goal. And there's a lot of, you know, religious significance to that and Christ being the rock of our, of our salvation and what have you. But you walk this path and it just weaves in and out. And then pretty soon you find yourself on the outside, the outskirts of it. And then it slowly starts bringing you back in and around. And it's just interesting. But there's like a groove in the center of the path that you can feel under your feet while you're walking. That people have walked that many, many times before. It was a little bit wet, so it was kind of slushy, but you could still, um, you know, feel the just the groove in there. And it's not like it was like like muddy, like the grass had been ripped up or anything. It was walked very gently and very contemplatively. And while you're doing this, I mean, I th- I think it took me forty five minutes or so to walk this labyrinth. And while you're doing it, there's no one to talk to. There are other people that are walking it, a couple other people, and just trying to figure it out. Like, what exactly is it? You know, what exactly are you doing? And you're just looking down and, and following this path. And pretty soon, you know, your mind just starts going to things. You just start thinking about theological issues. Um just issues that are going on in your life, just spending time with God, contemplating, and it's very meditative. This light stroll that you're taking it was it was quite an interesting experience. Um, it's it's a it's a form of of praying that I've never really done before. I've never done that kind of like active like walking and, and praying type thing. And you get to the center of it, and you know you're just at this big rock. And the only way back is the way that you came. So I guess you could technically circle the rock if you wanted, and then you start back. So once you think you get to the end, no, the path just continues, and you're going back. So it's almost like, you know, you're starting your life at birth, you're working your way through it, and you come to know Christ. And that's just the beginning of of your walk. And then you finish off and you know i guess eventually the end of your life but uh after that i walked their uh, path where they had the stations of the cross set up in these big plaster uh sculptures i guess uh statues because i don't know if you sculpt plaster i don't know if that's a thing um but along this path there were other paths that you could take they had a tree path And it was 80 different kinds of trees that made up a path that you could walk and just look at and just just kind of be. Um, At the end of the path that I was walking was their graveyard where all the nuns are buried that have been there previously that have died, obviously. They don't have their live nuns there. But um, huge statues are in there. It's very beautiful. And then off in the back of that, 
is almost a fully enclosed. There's really like only like one side that you come in at, and there's like a bench sitting there, and there's statues of uh, you know the the Blessed Virgin uh, Mary, the Mother of Christ, Mother of God, and um, I think there were some other minor statues there. But it was uh, just a focus point to just sit there and think and relax. And I walked past that, and then I started my way back down, like towards the nunnery. And I could see people like sitting along the stream, you know, writing and just thinking. Um, And I come upon this scene where there's an old nun. She didn't have her habit on or anything, but you know, she was she was there, and you know. And uh, she was feeding the animals, the woodland creatures, I suppose. And I walk up on this, and I swear it was like a Disney scene. You know, there were all of these, like, animals, you know, wild animals, squirrels and birds and what have you around her, that were so content with her. She was not a disruption to them. She was a, uh, just a part of their life. And I found that so interesting because, like, a, a couple reasons. Number one, but as soon as I walked up, and the, the animal saw me and just like scattered and you know, freaked out, like you know, like you see in you know Sleeping Beauty or something like that. But um, what was interesting too is that think of like the real life Disney application of this, and the real life Disney application of this is that these animals are used to getting fed well every day. They were some of the fattest squirrels I've ever seen in my life. I mean, <laughs> these things were so fat and so huge. I'm surprised they could scurry away as fast as they, as fast as they did. But, um, yeah, I went back and like the whole, uh, you know, just, just the whole day, the whole last Wednesday was just very, very good. Very interesting. Now, um, school wise. Yeah. I've had different, Reviews to do. Um, you know, I did a, uh, a book review, and I've talked about it before. You know, Christian mission in the modern world, and uh, that one I should be getting it back soon, so I'll be posting it. Um, I've been posting my um, reading reviews from Church History on SamsonStick.com that you can check out under the, um, uh, the Church History tab there. I have another one that has to go up. I uh, wrote it Wednesday, and I actually got it back yesterday. Um, it's not due until Monday, but you know you kind of want to get that stuff out of the way because I have a lot of other papers and a lot of other things coming up. Um, I had a reflection paper to do on the book, The Drama of Scripture, and so that was due today. I turned that in. Map map quizzes. Excuse me. And um. You know, just a, a lot of reading. So, you know, it's about what I anticipated that, you know, I'd be reading, you know, between like three and 500 pages a week, um, having lots of papers due, having lots of, you know, write-ups due and, you know, different assignments and a lot of classes or a couple classes I have, you know, quizzes every single class on, uh, on my readings and things. You know, World Missions has been a very interesting class. Um, talking with my professor, you know, he said he wants us to get our, our theology and our 
you know, education in that aspect from the book readings, but he's not going to talk about them in class. Uh, he's going to be talking about, you know, what it's like to be a missionary and to do missions and you know, different parts of the world. And the last class, we uh, he went through the uh, history of the Christian missionary movements in Africa. Yeah, so 1900 years, pretty much, um, starting with uh, uh, the evangelist Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, more than likely in uh, 43 AD, uh, going into northern Africa. Um, and just how it just kind of like filtered down, like through, and, and what's going on with it now. And, you know, he's looking at it too from like the Anglican perspective. Um, he has a lot of titles in his name. I noticed that like like plaques that um, schools and stuff that uh, he helped set up had you know plaques dedicated you know, thanking him for it. And you know I, I think he's like the the Reverend Canon Doctor, you know, with a bunch of letters behind his name also. And so you know, maybe one day I'll sit down and I'll ask him about all that. But uh, it's been interesting. Um, church history has been fun because it's medieval times and a lot of times you know you tell people yeah medieval history they're thinking like you know king arthur and knights and like all that stuff and then what's interesting is that you know I, I, I came across a fun section that i i you know had to write about for the for the reading and everything on um you know monastic life in the uh 12th century and from like, you know, 1100 to 1300, a little after, but I think like 1313 or something like that, um, is when you get the uh, Knights Templar, you know, the Knights of the Temple. And these were warrior monks. These people were um, soldiers from the Crusades that, you know, formed, you know, these, these type of, of uh, monasteries you know, where sort of they would use their powers for good, so to speak. Um, they would protect people who were going on pilgrimages to the Holy Land, you know, back and forth, and also act as uh, somewhat of a police force there in the Holy Land because you did have an Islamic presence and there was always, you know, tension there. But whenever the, uh, the, the Crusades um, fell out of popularity, they were accused of all kinds of heresy and, you know, all kinds of issues. And in a sham trial, uh, they were convicted, I, I suppose, of it and disbanded. So the Knights Templar, um, you know, regardless of what uh, people like Dan Brown say, you know, with the Da Vinci Code and all that stuff, or, uh, you know, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, like that type of thing. Yeah, they weren't around after the you know very early 14th century. But the way that they dressed, you know, I mean, it was you know all in white with a red cross on it, and you know they had their their weapons. And I believe there were three different kinds. I mean, you had those that were like the uh, the, the protectors, and those that were uh, you know the the police force, and then you know those who would administer sacraments and other priestly duties, that sort of thing. Uh, but also at that time, another interesting thing that you come across is uh, the start of nunneries. And um, 
this was interesting because um, you know women at this time were really like you know, second class citizens, uh, maybe even worse than second class citizens, um, and that they had no rights, like no you know, access to education. Like I mean, there were a lot of a lot of problems, but a nunnery, if they could get into it, they could be educated. They had a degree of freedom within uh, the the compound, within the the convent, to do what they wanted, to you know, talk how they wanted, to to um, you know express themselves artistically, musically, you know, educated in in music. Um, you had uh, some of the nuns that actually developed. Um, Hildegard von uh, uh, Biggen, she developed a type of uh, music style that, you know, within within liturgical music that would uh, span two and a half octaves in singing. And professional musicians shoot to have a, a three octave range. So this was very different. Um, and she was able to utilize the uh, work that the monks did from the uh, uh, Carolingian Renaissance in the 8th century, where they developed musical notation. Um, so while it's still, you know, what we would consider you know, primitive, it's, it's really the start of um, classical music and music as we know it today and um you know, in ju- just in the interval movements between the notes, and that's what the, uh, you know, came out of uh, some of these nunneries. But also, women that were in there, they elected their uh, their abbess, you know, their head nun. And think about that. I mean, we may take that for granted today, but this was the first place where a woman could cast a vote, and that that vote mattered, and it gave her a chance to elect somebody to give her a voice. You know, a voice within within the community that she wouldn't have any other way. So really, you know, the first type of women's movement and this understanding came specifically out of nunneries. And in my paper I wrote, then I mean that'll be that one will be up pretty soon on Samsonstick.com. I wrote that it's ironic that, you know, within the confines of a convent you find freedom that you don't have in other societies, in other parts of society as, as a woman. It was very, uh, very interesting. Um, when you comb through history in this way, you start to come across a lot of these, you know, smaller things. Um, you had monks that, you know, took absolute vows of poverty. Um, like the Franciscans, they went super poverty like they didn't want to own a change of clothes type you know poverty and then you had some that um you know they well you know they would take in money and they would the the monasteries would become quite wealthy because of um you know the agriculture and you know production that they would do through um uh, wool production, you know, raising raising uh, sheep and and stuff, and then um, 
you know, at, at this time in history, um, the with the Crusades opening the trade trade routes for you know Italian merchants and uh, those sort of things. I mean, this is around the time um, where you have. Uh, Oh shoot! What's his name? These did Netflix did a whole thing about Marco Polo, you know, and and like kind of his story. It's around this time, so you had all these trade routes that were opened up, and you know the Italian uh, cloth traders was real big, and they would buy a lot of the stuff from uh, from the monasteries, and you know, so you had some of them that were wealthy, you had some, but they were very you know tied into the economy. A lot. Well, you had other ones that sprung up that became more self-sufficient, more excluded from society. Like they, they withdrew themselves more from society and were more self-sufficient. And I, I mean, I just find all that stuff fascinating because some of the things that we see today, like modern typeset came out of the mon- monasteries. I mean, you know, the type that you're looking at as you you know look at at this podcast and the the shape of those letters come from the carolingian uh renaissance and the monks developing a writing style that uh typeset is based off of hey thanks for listening to the theology pit you can always check me out on facebook at the theology pit you can email me samson at samsonstick.com or you can go to my website and donate if you like at www.samsonstick.com and now it is definitely time to close down the pit thank you hey everyone thanks for listening to the theology pit do us a favor and check out our website at samsonstick.com tell us what you like or what you don't like and consider making a donation Just send a buck to show your appreciation. It's more than just money. To us, it's an encouragement. Samsonstick.com. 